0: Your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest, coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the retro movie roundtable. Welcome where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and so sad today. You know, John's still back in time. He's been traveling, he's been working on his time machine, he got it working, and uh, he's not able to join us today. And Oh my gosh. He's back. John, you're back. What wow, what, what
1: what is today?
0: Today. It's 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 Christmas day.
1: It's Christmas day. That's right. When w- when did that happen?
0: I don't know, man. It's 2018.
1: In 2018. I'll tell you, the past is just about exactly as I remembered it, surprisingly. You went to the future. And, and the past sometimes, and, and the future. I, I I saw some good things. Did the Cleveland
0: Browns win a world? Sorry, did the <laughs> Cleveland Browns win a Super Bowl?
1: No, I I don't think that's ever going to happen. So, <laughs> S- sadly, there were some teams I didn't like that won them.
0: Well, what happened <laughs> on your adventures?
1: Well, in all honesty, I have uh, been planning uh, a a wedding that was uh, quite short notice. And then me and my wife went on a honeymoon to the horrible land of Hawaii. And uh, I hope you note my sarcasm in there is it is a wonderful place to visit. But bring money. It's expensive. So very expensive.
0: Mazel tov.
1: Thank you. Thank you it's uh we came back to a nice two foot snowstorm in north carolina surprisingly where up north they didn't get anything
0: yeah i was gonna say we've had a little bit of snow in pittsburgh but not nearly as much as you man
1: oh like uh, schools were closed for about a week uh, down here about everything closes when it snows too much and uh we we didn't even get to leave the house for about three days but we got to keep power that's the most important thing
0: well, with you coming back, I don't even know that we need a guest anymore. This is your welcoming home episode. It's Christmas time. It's a Christmas miracle. We're we're gonna get together here and uh, let's let's talk about Home Alone today. What do you say? I
1: am excited about Home
0: Alone. Before we get going, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna ask you some questions so the so the viewers get re-familiarized with you because uh, we've been holding it down here without you for the last six weeks or so. If you were to recast a Christmas carol, who would your Ebenezer Scrooge be?
1: Ooh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, uh,
0: you know, I would probably.
1: I think that Christopher Plummer could make a good Scrooge. Yeah, I like it. I like yeah, it. Yeah, he, he he has uh, the ability. He can play quite a positive person, but. He's got the good facial expressions to to play kind of that curmudgeon-y character that Scrooge is.
0: So what was your favorite Christmas movie? Or what is your favorite Christmas movie?
1: Well, you know that that's a tough one. When I was younger, it was definitely uh The Grinch, uh the animated version, not not the uh Jim Carrey version, but which we were a good bit older when it came out, but You know, when I was older, it was actually probably between this and Christmas Vacation.
0: So Home Alone or Christmas Vacation. Those are two of my favorites up there as well. And if uh, you can recall in your memory banks there, what was your favorite Christmas gift that you unwrapped as a kid on Christmas morning?
1: My favorite Christmas gift that I actually unwrapped. I had a couple that were too big to be wrapped. Namely being a bicycle, that was one of the uh, great ones. But one that I unwrapped, uh, I'd have to say, was my Nintendo 64.
0: Was that your first console gaming system?
1: It was the first console gaming system that belonged to just me. Uh, I'd had a Nintendo 85 and a Sega Genesis that were gifts to both my brother and I, but. The 64 was uh, given to just me.
0: okay, so this one was all yours, and Adam was not to share it.
1: That didn't stop him
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, older brothers are good for that, I bet.
1: Oh oh yeah, that's uh but he he had to come, come to my room. It was no longer uh, in a shared space, and so I, I could keep him out when I wanted to.
0: Let's go into it. Have you seen any movies lately?
1: Yes, I have. I uh, just recently on my flight caught the movie A Quiet Place uh, with John Krasinski and uh, Emily Blunt. A wonderful uh, horror thriller flick. Uh, Very tense, very emotional. Uh, I I highly recommend it if you get the chance.
0: Mm, It's been on my to-see list for a while.
1: Krasinski's talent is both an actor and director are, are really shining through.
0: I hope that he just looks at the camera and shrugs his shoulders and makes a face as if he doesn't know what's going on, like Jim from The Office. Like,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things. When I saw that he was doing more serious roles, I was like, I, I wonder if I'm going to be able to take him seriously. But, but no, he, he's quite good at it. And it's interesting to you know have your own wife actually play your wife on screen. Uh, Maybe that really helped with the chemistry.
0: It might have. Or maybe the whole thing's been method acting the whole time. (laughs) Could be. Well, today I'm going to introduce to you Home Alone. This movie came out in 1990. It grossed $285 million, which is a ton of money, enough to give it number one in the box office that year. It's so popular, it was in theaters well past the Christmas season, and it was the number one film in the box office for 12 straight weeks. Home Alone is the third highest grossing film in the world at this time, coming only behind Star Wars and E.T. the Extraterrestrial. So it is massively popular among all ages. It places ahead of Ghosts uh, with uh, Demi Moore. And uh, Patrick Swayze and IMDb gives us a 7.5. Feels a little low. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give this a 63%, even more surprisingly low. And the audience score of Rotten Tomatoes it uh, gives us a 79%. So, it, I,
1: I have to interject that I, I found these ratings to be quite low. Maybe it's because it was a childhood movie of ours, but I, I was quite surprised when I saw them that low.
0: I am also surprised given the massive success and broad appeal that it's, it certainly had at the time. It is also nominated for two Oscars for Best Score for John Williams and Best Original Song by John Williams uh, for Somewhere in My Memory, which we'll talk about later as well, so... John, obviously you mentioned earlier that this is uh, one of your movies before. Give people a little bit of background with you. When was the first time you had seen this? When was the last time you had seen it? What were your expectations in coming back to it now?
1: Well, I saw it when I was a very little kid. I do. I I did not catch it in theaters, but caught it shortly there after it coming out on video. Maybe I was a little too young to, to catch it in the theaters, but... Uh, I, I just fell in love with it. You know, when you're a kid and you see the idea that you get to do all of the things that you want to do without adults telling you what to do, uh, it, it's just so much fun. Uh, and, and then the using various toys and ha- household tools to set up booby traps was, was just so so much fun looking to me. I I liked to set things like that up with my friends when I was a kid, obstacle courses, things of that nature. And, you know, we liked American gladiators where you had to go through these little gauntlets and stuff. And uh, uh, I just found it very funny and, you know, very touching. Uh, And I saw it quite a few times through my youth. Uh, As I got older, it was probably quite some time since I'd seen it. And honestly, since I had, last sat down and watched it through I honestly can't remember it's been at least five years since i've I've watched it uh, and my expectations were that I was gonna come in and still really love what the film has to offer and actually I kind of came out of a, uh, with a little bit more uh, having a child of my own now mm-hmm.
0: well I am. I'm going to echo a lot of that. Obviously, we're the same age. Uh, I'm actually a little bit older than you by three hours. <laughs> oh, <Old> man. I... <laughs> um, anyway, I loved this movie right away. I saw it in theaters. Uh, you know, my parents liked it. My dad especially really enjoyed it. Everybody I seemed to go to school with loved this movie. I can't tell you how many people at the time and, and the n- close years afterwards would say, this is my favorite movie. Uh, Home Alone, what's your favorite movie? It just was so widely popular. And it was a staple of the 90s. People related to Macaulay Culkin for people in our age group. And I think anybody who is around his age would identify with him. He's a clever, smart, charismatic uh, actor. So uh, I loved this movie from the beginning. I have seen it off and on throughout the years. I probably have never gone more than three years tops without seeing it and certainly growing up we had a vhs of it and i watched it every christmas pretty much so i'm well 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 uh rehearsed and i should say uh i'm well versed in this movie i love it and it hasn't gotten old one bit in fact the heartwarming parts that you mentioned are the parts that i didn't appreciate as much as a kid and the movie has aged very well as i have aged so this this is timeless
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I I think we can appreciate more of it as we get older in various aspects and understanding what the spirit of the holiday of Christmas is. And a lot of it is forgiveness, reconciliation. And, you know, when we're kids, we're not focusing on that as much. You get to see that more when you're an adult.
0: Yeah, well, we're going to get into this movie. We're going to spoil it. But before we do, let's go to an advertisement. What's that on the roof, John? I think it might be a reindeer. A reindeer? Yeah, well. Oh man, who's here to who's here who's here for the advertisement?
1: I think it must be
0: Jolly Old Saint Nick. Merry Christmas! Santa Claus here. And if there's one thing I like, it's cookies. If there's two things I like, it's cookies and the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Ho 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 ho! Santa's here to ask you all to be good little girls and boys this year. And go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to the show. Give it a five-star review and rating. Also, give the Retro Movie Roundtable a like on Facebook. Ho, ho, ho! Tell the guys what you think of the show and the movie of the week. Let them know your thoughts. Write to the show at Retro movie roundtable at Yahoo.com and tell a friend about the show. I told Rudolph, ho, ho, ho! All the good little boys and girls who do this will be very happy on Christmas morning, and the show will grow and improve with your help. So go to bed early on Christmas Eve and have yourself a, oh, 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 Merry Christmas. And we're back. Wow, Chris Kringle gave us an endorsement, John. I have to say I, I'm so
1: appreciative. We, we must have been good this year.
0: I know. This is pretty much the biggest celebrity we've ever had on, so without a doubt at the end of our episodes we always ask for people to rate review and subscribe to us and we wanted to take a moment to thank the people who have done so we're getting a lot of five-star reviews which are super helpful and they help other people find the show so i wanted to take a moment to reach out and read eugenia writes great review of mission impossible the first episode john and russell sound great meredith robson is a great guest they covered many interesting aspects of the film in an engaging conversational format. Can't wait to listen to more. So this is an early one we got from right off the bat. They were hooked from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. Thanks, Eugenia. Yeah,
1: yeah thank you so much. That's what we're going for. Um, we want to do more than just discuss the movie, but try to do it in a more insightful and, as you said, engaging manner.
0: John, do you want to give everybody a a plot outline of what happened in Home Alone and refresh people's memory?
1: Absolutely. In a suburban area of Chicago, the McAllister family is preparing to take a trip to Paris for the Christmas holiday. This includes the extended family of wacky cousins, aunts, and most particularly, Uncle Frank. Kevin is the eight-year-old son of Peter and Kate McAllister, and whose home everyone is packing and planning their trip. Kevin becomes angsty, eventually leading him into a fight with his older brother, Buzz. The fight ruins dinner, and Kevin is forced to sleep in the third-floor bedroom as a punishment, which leads him to wish his family would disappear. The next morning, the alarm clocks were reset by a power outage, and everybody oversleeps. This leads everyone to scrambling to get the large group of the family, to make it to the airport in time for the flight. Amid the chaos, a kid from the neighborhood is counted as Kevin during a headcount, and then Kevin is left at home. After rushing to make their flight, Peter and Kate are reviewing things they may have forgotten or forgotten to do at home, which leads Kate to realize that Kevin has been left behind. Kevin's parents immediately scramble to find a way back home during the busy holiday and contact the authorities to try to go check on their son to no avail, as they cannot find any flights as they're all booked. Back in Chicago, Kevin wakes up to find that his wishes come true. His family has disappeared. This causes him to do things that his parents would normally not let him do, such as watch adult movies eat as much junk food as he wants, mess with his brother's room and take his BB gun, really anything he decides he wants to do. As time wears on, Kevin's fears manifest from encounters with things such as the basement and the furnace, the police, the neighbor old man Marley who had supposedly murdered his family according to Buzz, and finally the wet bandits Harry and Marv. Kevin learns that the bandits plan to rob their home on Christmas Eve and winds up going to church and ends up seeing old man Marley and strikes up a conversation with him. Kevin realizes Marley is a nice man who has been lonely due to a falling out with his son and is there to watch his granddaughter sing in the chorus. Kevin musters courage and strength and prepares a series of booby traps in his house using the resources at his disposal. The bandits fall prey to many of the traps, getting many injuries along the way. Kevin's plan seems to be going well as he escapes to the neighbors and calls 911. The bandits have anticipated this move, however, and catch him and hang him on a coat hanger. Marley has also caught wind, though, and sneaks up on the bandits and knocks them out with his snow shovel and then takes Kevin home as the bandits are arrested. The next morning, Kevin wakes up, hoping to find his family home, but they are not there. His mom walks in the door, calling for Kevin's name after having driven a very long distance to get home to see him. The rest of the family shows up shortly afterward and everyone reconciles and seems to be proud of Kevin. Including his older brother, Buzz. Kevin then looks out the window and sees Marley greeting his son and granddaughter, having also reconciled with them. And they each give each other a knowing look as they wave to each other. And in that moment, Buzz walks into his room and yells for Kevin and asks what he's done to his room. And Kevin runs off in a panic.
0: Well done. Well done. I felt like I had just watched it again. Thanks for replaying that for us.
1: <laughs> You're welcome.
0: Uh, before we go forward, though, uh, you mentioned about the House of Horrors that he made for the Wet Bandits. Let's go through some of those great traps that he set for them. We can go through them. There aren't actually that many, but uh, they, they stand out in my mind so so well. The BB gun, which he initially shoots Marv in the face, and then uh, he shoots uh, Harry in the nuts. There's ice on the steps where they both fall down it comedically. Uh, there's the hot doorknob where the grill starter heats up the doorknob and burns anybody who would touch it. Uh, There's a blowtorch rigged up to ignite anybody's scalp upon walking in the back door. There's tar on the steps with nails hidden in there. So if anybody were to walk up, uh, they would uh, get nails in the feet. There's also Christmas ornaments. So anticipating that someone would be barefoot, uh, glass Christmas ornaments are placed on the floor. A cellophane with glue is set up to cover your face and which feathers then cover your uh, entire face with feathers blocking your view. Also making it look silly. Micro machines are laid on the floor to trip people. Paint cans are wired above so that they can swing down and hit you in the head. Uh, Trip wires are set up. Tarantula on the face is a fun added trap that's uh, kind of a spur of the action kind of thing. And one of the big ones is Marvin Harry end up going out on a rope, chasing Kevin out to the, his treehouse. And he cuts the rope and drops them a, where they swing down, hit a wall. So these guys are getting really beat up in this movie.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, as dangerous as it all is, uh, it, it's also comedic. It's slapstick at its finest. It really is, and I I bet that Kevin McAllister was probably about the happiest person to see a tarantula in the history of man.
0: You know, there were some parents out there who actually got upset by this. I've actually spoken to a person or two over the years where somebody's parents didn't really want their kid to see this because they thought it was encouraging violence towards people, but, you know, especially going back and watching this again, I mean, it's a lesson to not climb bookshelves. It's a lesson to, uh, you know, be open to uh, not judging people for looking scary. It's, it, I'll be honest with you, it's this is a hard one to come away with and say that this is a bad kid. I don't know. Um, I don't know.
1: Well, then, I mean, let's be realistic. It's people breaking into his home. He calls the cops. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, he doesn't. Kill them or anything of that nature. Uh, but you no, know, you're right. There, there are a couple lessons there, including aftershave. Like, uh, be careful with that stuff. It's. Uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear that there were parents hearing that this would be encouraging violence. Uh, and I've heard actually some tell of the the old movie, the the Rudolph movie, that because Rudolph is bullied, some uh, TV channels won't air it anymore.
0: But that's the whole point. He overcomes it.
1: I know, and I, you know, it, it, it ends well, and I I think that's kind of the whole idea. I I don't think this encourages uh, violence here. I, th- I think it encourages, uh, you know, defend yourself and be resourceful about it.
0: And be thankful for your family is the big one.
1: Oh, I, absolutely. It's like understanding that having your loved ones around you uh, is, is a big part, and and. That's why I love the fact it's not just Kevin. It's when we do meet old man Marley, it's like we realize he's not some serial murderer. He's just kind of a brokenhearted old man because he hasn't talked with his son in many years.
0: Oh, man, I love that part of the movie. So we're starting to get into the characters a little bit. Why don't you give us a cast rundown and uh, tell us who's who? All right. Well, we have
1: Macaulay Calkin as Kevin McAllister, our protagonist, uh, who is a kid kind of eager to grow up and be on his own. Nine years old, they say. Nine years old. And uh, we have Joe Pesci as Harry, a short and kind of hot-headed crook, uh, posing as a police officer at the beginning, but seemingly kind of the brains of the wet bandits, and which leads us to Daniel Stern as Marv, more of the dim-witted... sidekick to Harry uh, that makes so many good facial expressions and screams. We have John Hurd as Peter McAllister, uh, who's Kevin's father, uh, a very dutiful father. Robert's Blossom as Marley, uh, the neighbor who seems to be very scary and always seems to have a snow shovel unless he is in church. Uh, We have Catherine O'Hara as Kate McAllister, Kevin's mother, uh, who's worried sick, v- very loving mother, but also wants to lead Kevin down the right path. Angela Gothels plays Lenny McAllister, uh, one of Kevin's sisters. Devin Rattray plays Buzz McAllister, Kevin's oldest brother, the one that we had mentioned, uh, yelling at him at the end. And we have Gary Bammon as Uncle Frank McAllister, Peter's brother and who's just kind of a goofy uncle and seems like a bit of a cheapskate. Hilary Wolfe as Megan McAllister, uh, Kevin's older sister. John Candy as Gus Polinski, a good Samaritan we can say that helps Kate get back home. Michael C. Morona as Jeff McAllister, Kevin's brother. Kristen Minter as Heather McAllister, Kevin's cousin. Diana Campino as Sandra McAllister, Kevin's cousin. Jedediah Cohen as Rod McAllister, Kevin's cousin. Kieran Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's actual brother, plays Fuller McAllister, who is a younger cousin who has a tendency to wet the bed. Senta Moses as Tracy McAllister, Kevin's cousin. Anna Slotke as Brooke McAllister, Kevin's cousin. Terry Snell as Aunt Leslie McAllister, Uncle Frank's wife. So this really gives you an idea of how big of a family unit they had to herd together on this trip.
0: A couple of uh, fun you may know these people from. Michael Morona there is the uh, older Pete from Pete and Pete. If you were a kid in the 90s and watched Nickelodeon, you may know this uh, beloved TV show as well. So he's the redheaded brother.
1: Yeah, th- th- there's a few of them that really pop up. You know, Kieran Culkin actually has a uh, successful career going now. Uh, he is currently in an HBO series called Succession. It's quite popular. So it's uh, kind of interesting to see that his younger brother progressed in real life.
0: Kristen Mentor is also on ER for about eight seasons. Uh, she plays a character named Randy Franzak. Okay,
1: so. I didn't know that.
0: That's the brunette uh, older sister that's counting the kids in the car, so she okay. so she grows up to be an ER. Few other casting comments. It's interesting that uh, John Hughes recommended Macaulay Culkin because Macaulay Culkin had been in a previous John Hughes movie, Uncle Buck. Uh, Columbus still wanted to find his own actor for the for the lead, and he tested over two hundred child actors, and in the end. He agreed with Hughes and felt like Macaulay Culkin was the best, so kind of a don't tell me who to pick. All right? Good pick. Well, and if I, uh,
1: w- I read correctly, actually, the kid that is on the van that gets counted as Kevin uh, is an actor who auditioned for the role.
0: Uh, he's And by the way, he's good, too. I, I, not as good as uh, Macaulay, but he does that little part so well. Yes, yes, he does. Everybody on the set was amazed, though, how professional Macaulay Culkin was. Joe Pesci even told Entertainment Weekly that he's not even like a nine-year-old boy. He's like an old man already. So he was experienced with other acting gigs already. And so even though he was young, I think he was actually a year older than he plays in the movie. I think he was 10 at the time of this. He he really impressed Columbus and everybody who was there. And so I think it's needless to say this is Macaulay Culkin's, you know, opus magnum. This is his best wouldn't you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, th- there were some other fun ones along the way, too, but this is definitely his, the pinnacle of his career, I'd say.
0: Now, somebody who has an illustrious acting career is Joe Pesci. I mean, he's been in so many things. Goodfellas and Casino, and he's he's known to be a gangster guy.
1: R- Raging bull. But, you know, it, it, this would lead him to do My, my Cousin Vinny wonderful comedy movie
0: this was the change in direction for him though i mean he he in the 90s starts to go on saturday night live as a host he goes into the lethal weapon uh series uh come come lethal weapon 2 in 1989 so that's kind of where he starts to go down this road and then right right around the corner there there's uh, home alone and like you said my cousin Vinny. There's a movie called The Super that he does, which is a comedy not nearly as good. Down the Line to Good Fit, uh, Gone Fishing with Danny Glover. And it, there's a number of comedies that Joe Pesci, for whatever reason at this point in his career, he's stepping outside of his uh, dramatic, serious acting. And it's kind of interesting, this is kind of a bridge to that, because he's playing a criminal, and he's a straight-faced, short-fused criminal. But he's doing it in a very slapstick manner, and he just dove right in there and uh, did an amazing job.
1: Yeah, I have to say, him in the Lethal Weapon series, I still can't take him seriously with bleached hair. (laughs) Just can't do it.
0: So some other people were considered, though. De Niro and Rowan Atkinson, Bob Hoskins, Danny DeVito, Christopher Lloyd, Dudley Moore, Phil Collins, and John Lovitz were all considered for the role of Harry Lyme. And De Niro and Lovitz both declined the role and eventually went to Joe Pesci. So I cannot at all picture De Niro doing this.
1: No, I can't. I, I read that as well, and I, I love Robert De Niro. I really do. But I just can't picture him do, doing it any better than Joe Pesci did.
0: And Rowan Atkinson, I could see doing Marv, like the dumb one, but I couldn't. Yes. I absolutely can't see him being the mastermind of all of this by any means. So uh, John Lovitz is really one of the few people from this list who I would actually trust to do this role, and it would not be as good without the scary, intimidating... You know, you want to actually be afraid of him, and that anger that Pesci has is perfect. So,
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, there were quite a few people considered for uh, Kate McAllister, too. Jennifer Grey, Maureen McCormick... Gates McFadden, Kelly Preston, Madonna, Meg Ryan, Mary Steenburgen, who I love in her recent comedies, Kim Basinger, Linda Carter, and uh, Kim Cattrall.
0: Christy Alley as well.
1: Christy Alley. Uh, But I, again, I I love a lot of these actresses, but I just really think that Catherine O'Hara brought the motherly sensitivity to to the role that was needed
0: she is horribly underutilized i think she's a brilliant actress and i don't know why she's not in more things
1: that's why i like that it it, they put her in you know like a mighty wind and best in show and uh christopher guest really seems to like her and she, she is very underrated and underutilized i believe
0: Daniel Stern actually was not the uh, initial plan to go with Marv. They liked him, and they certainly wanted to go with him, but they couldn't afford him, and they didn't think that it would work out with the scheduling. Uh, They ended up bringing another actor in to do Marv to work with Joe Pesci, and they just didn't have the chemistry. Things weren't going right, and so they went back and they gave Daniel Stern the money. And it worked out. So, and I'm really glad they did this. His physical acting is right up there with like Michael Richards from Seinfeld, uh, who plays Kramer. And I just his physical humor really, really makes this movie.
1: He, his physical de- definitely does, and, and just the kind of off the wall comments he delivers them very well, almost Kramer like, as you mentioned. It's just, uh, you know, th- things that are just so ridiculous that y- you don't know whether to laugh or be mad at him.
0: This is this is his top of the mountain, I think, for uh, for him. I I do think so as well. Uh, John Candy was actually did all of his work in one really long twenty three hour day. Many of the uh, lines that he delivers are improvised, so that's just John Candy being likable. John Candy.
1: I think I if I
0: recall reading correctly,
1: I think that the whole story about leaving uh, his son at a funeral home uh, that that was not scripted. Uh, just kind of ad-libbed.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, it it turned out okay. He started to talk again in about six
1: weeks. (laughs) Well, and, you know, that's uh, a wonderful scene because, you know, John Candy and Catherine O'Hara, they had worked together before uh, as comedians and stuff, and actually she gave the eulogy at his funeral. And so I, I think the chemistry there was really great.
0: Absolutely. And one other fun uh, cat recasting or not recasting, I should say casting considerations were Keanu, young Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix were both considered for the role of Buzz. But they uh, they actually go on to appear together in a movie called I Love You to Death in 1990. And that comes out just a little bit before Home Alone. I'm glad neither of them got this part because Buzz is a truly dislikable human being. And I like both of these actors and they got the perfect dislikable ham faced kid to barf up pizza and make Kevin angry and push him.
1: Yeah, it's like I don't even like Buzz's kind of almost Buzz haircut. Like <laughs> they 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 did that so well to make it, you know. Especially having been a younger brother myself, like it really gave me that feeling. It's like of having frustration towards your older brother.
0: So this is uh, later in John Hughes's uh, lexicon here, or I should say library. He is a great writer for comedy because he doesn't just write the funny. He always makes sure to put a lot of the characters in there. He focuses on relationships of people. And this movie, and why I think it's timeless, it goes down to the great story writing. So John Hughes... Gets credit here to me to starting off with something uh, that was amazingly well-written. Most comedy screenplays and stuff like that will just say the burglars get beaten up, but he wrote things into very specific detail, anchoring it to the place, suggesting Macaulay Culkin. John Hughes is a comedy uh, or movie writing veteran at this point, and it shows here. What do you think about uh, John Hughes, uh, particularly in Home Alone here?
1: I mean, I think it just really adds on to his already stellar record of storytelling. You know, the, the Brat Pack is such a popular thing, and it was a little before our time, but, you know, I, I remember as a kid just absolutely loving Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Breakfast Club, man. And, uh, breakfast Club, yes, it was great. All of them were great, but but Ferris Bueller's it kind of reminds me a little bit because you have this youth that's just just kind of rebellious. He seems to know how to write that character into a very likable character. Not all rebels are going to be likable, but he seems to have a really good way of doing it and really drawing. You can tell he draws from his, his personal experiences and puts it into his work. You know, And he's the one, he really helped bring Chris Columbus on this. and it, Because he had actually brought Chris Columbus to Christmas Vacation, but unfortunately Columbus... And Chase, Chevy Chase had a uh, falling out, and it didn't work out for him.
0: Chevy is known to rub people the wrong way more than once throughout his career. He he can ruffle the feathers. I love Chevy. (laughs) I I
1: do, too. And, And unfortunately, apparently, it's only gotten a little worse, so...
0: Yeah, even after all of his times coming back on to host Saturday Night Live, they later asked him to not return anymore, and he can be quite divisive, and he was not Mr. Popular even as the time that he was on his cast, so it's hard to believe somebody so likable and funny somehow in real life uh, can be so difficult to get along with, but yeah, Christopher Columbus gets off of that movie, and I think it works out for him in the end, National Lampoon's Vacation. Turns out perfect the way it is. I'm glad whoever made that made that, and I'm glad that Christopher Columbus ended up getting this. This is quite a consolation prize because this movie was far more successful at the box office, and this sets him up for the rest of his career.
1: Yeah, and I I think Chris Columbus, I think his niche really is kind of directing uh, films about young people. I mean, uh, when I was a kid, I even liked uh, the movie The Adventures of Babysitting. And then you know he goes on to do the only the the first two Harry Potter films where they're very young. He, he seems to just have have a knack on really understanding the child mindset.
0: Yeah, and let's not forget uh, Columbus goes on to do Mrs. Doubtfire, which is a great great comedy as well. Oh yeah, and more recently people well it's not that recently I guess but later on down the line Christopher sorry Chris Columbus also does uh, the first two Harry Potter movies too. So yeah. Uh, he he has a lot of big hits. He's got a couple of missteps along the way, namely Pixels and Percy Jackson and the Olympians. But I mean, for the most part, his high points are more than high enough to make up for any missteps. So
1: uh, I agree completely.
0: One thing that was interesting is you got to think about this. Not only is working with kids difficult, but Macaulay Culkin, your lead actor, uh, is restricted to only working for five hours a day by child labor laws. And so they had to, that's an extra strain on a director to to figure all this out. That's why sometimes uh, twins are popular to get uh, at young ages. So they play the same person, they can get twice as much work out of the same gene pool, so to speak. But Again, this is just goes to show you. Macaulay Culkin was awesome at doing this, and Columbus did mention that you know he would get tired or giggle, and zone so not a lot. But when dialed in, he was he was he was on, and it shows. Well, and apparently,
1: when he got tired on the the set, he would uh, he would just lay down on the ground and take a take a nap between takes.
0: I don't know if you saw the behind the scenes or the extra features on this one, but uh, he also went around with his own. Pretty nice camera. better than your home camcorder. And he would make his own little documentary behind the scenes himself, going around. And he is a he is an adorable kid. And he goes around asking all the cast members, uh, interviewing them with his camera, and uh, going around talking to the director. And he just he, it shows you how much fun he's having because the camera's not really rolling. He's just this is playtime for him. And uh, again, I I remember. I don't know about you, man, but I, I was like, man, that looks awesome. I want to do what he's doing. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. That, I didn't catch any of the special features thing, but yeah, no, I, I completely understand.
0: It was Mac Cam. Yeah. Chris Columbus has a, a amazing ability to work with him, and that showed in that as well. Uh, you know, they he was joking around with him a lot too, and stuff like that, saying like, you know. What should, what kind of shot should we do here, Macaulay? And he's like, uh, I don't know what should we do. He's like, should we do a dolly shot? He goes, Yeah, let's let us let us do a dolly shot. And he goes, Tell them and like so. Like he tells the the cast of people like standing around. He's like, We're gonna do a dolly shot, everybody. And so, um, it's neat to see somebody who's clearly got millions of dollars invested in this thing, taking time to remember that. Uh, you know, his actor is a kid, and uh, to get good results out of him, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be a mentor as well. And so he's teaching him as he goes along the way. So, and a lot of people say that about him. So,
1: yeah, and you know that that can be difficult to do because you can't just in, instruct and tell. uh, you, you really have to kind of guide them to their own conclusions on how they need to do things. Uh, Kids, they don't necessarily take orders quite as well, and so you have to have a bit of a
0: softer touch. One thing I really like that Chris Columbus also does in this is the original John Hughes uh, script, which I complimented perfectly, was missing something in Columbus's uh, opinion, and he adds in the character of Mr. Marley or Old Man Marley who assaults the sidewalks and the bodies turn into mummies.
1: Mummies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised
1: to hear that that wasn't originally written into the script.
0: Oh, man. I love it because his story parallels Kevin's story and that Kevin wished his family would disappear and in his mind they've disappeared by him wishing them away. And it also, old man Marley, you know, sends his son away saying, I don't want to see you anymore and has thus wished his family away and now he's very sad that he doesn't have his family and unlike kevin who will get his family back later old man marley actually has is to blame with this and he's had to live with it for years and somehow i love the fact that kevin is just simply saying there's like my family disappeared i can't do anything about it but you can still fix this and it's that innocence that somehow resonates to him and it's the power of christmas that says maybe if there's never a time to reach out to family and reconnect, it's now. And I just, this is a heartwarming part of the movie.
1: It re- really is. And I, I think it just goes to show it doesn't matter what age. And sometimes, especially kids, they, you know, and I've worked with kids so many times, is like, they often just speak the truth. Like they, they know it. And even if it's something that might not sound like you want to do or hear, although what he's telling him is so simple. It's just the fact that there's a kid telling him to do this and illustrating to him that I don't have any family and can't do anything about it. So why don't
0: you stop salting and shoveling your sidewalk and call your son? I thought another moment of uh, Chris Columbus is he did an amazing job of editing this. Sometimes you go back and you watch deleted scenes and you think, mm, you know, I'm glad they cut that or whatever in this case. You can tell he was looking for moments to build out the characters, to make show consideration and, uh, you know, how Harry and Marv talk to each other. There's a lot of other scenes in Harry and Marv talking to each other. They get cut because they might pull the energy down, but there's good stuff that's still in the movie, and you can see that it's because he was creating a organic, complete thought there. There's a lot more scenes in Paris where his father are is having a hard time getting... A hold of the police and trying to find his kids and it shows that his father cares that part doesn't really come through in the movie as much in the final cut but they got rid of all of these things with good reason there's a little bit more of Uncle Frank pulling down Kevin's pants and making fun of him and uh, they laid it on him uh, sufficiently so the only deleted scene that I thought had any merit in making this was uh, after Kevin takes a sled ride down the stairs and crashes out in the front yard uh, Mr. Marley's out there salting the sidewalks during the day again and Kevin gets really scared and drags the sled back in the house and slams the door shut. So being afraid of this nice old man is never stops being funny to me.
1: Yeah, I know exactly. But it also just kind of reminds us of our rational fears. Uh, I mean, because the basement furnace thing, there's really nothing to be afraid of. But I can see how a kid would be afraid of such things. And Uh, You know, I also remember hearing stories from my older brother, maybe not exactly or as bad as what old man Marley was, but, you know, he was my brother and I had a tendency to even I was like, oh, that's not true. In the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what if it is true? He turns them into mummies. Yeah, to mummies. How
0: does that happen? Well, as you mentioned before, this is in the northern suburbs of Chicago, affluent neighborhood, village of Winnetka, Winneteca or Winnetka, I'm not good at Winnetka. saying. Winnetka. Yeah, thank Winnetka. you. Or it's also a little bit, it's between Winnetka and uh, Kenilworth, uh, so this is a nice neighborhood. It's not by coincidence that John Hughes picks this area, because a lot of his previous films are filmed here, such as The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 16 Candles, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, also with John Candy, Uncle Buck also has Macaulay Culkin and John Candy. John Hughes likes his Chicago uh, setting, and you know what? It just looks like a picturesque Christmas scene in this neighborhood with all these big trees, and it, I, I get why they picked it.
1: According to Buzz, if I recall, the quote is, uh, the most boring street on the planet.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he, he lists, uh, I can't remember all three points he makes, but he starts off by saying, A, Two. And D. (laughs) And D, we live on the most boring street in America and nothing will ever happen there. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Buzz just sucks. (laughs) (laughs) He does. Worst older brother ever. Wardrobe and costumes in this, I remember the time, I don't know about you, but I remember thinking like, man, I would not want to wear all these itchy sweaters that Kevin has on. And I don't feel like he dresses like me. And I remember kind of thinking, even as a kid... I don't think they really know what kids today are wearing. And it's actually interesting. You go back and they said that they wanted to dress the characters in a sort of timeless way that wouldn't date it to necessarily any era so that this would continue to live a longer life. And you know what? it probably was a smart move because rather than sitting there with a hooded sweatshirt with a Chicago Bears logo on it that might look like something like like a starter hoodie or something like that, which you might have in at the time, uh, it it does seem like this could be from the 70s or the 80s or, or later. So it's generic in an effective and intentional manner. I never really realized that before.
1: Yeah. And even like with the adults, it's like, it's not too extreme with what they're wearing. It's just, you know, not really like bright or vivid trench coats and scarves. Things that people, uh, especially in the north or Midwest in the winter, would be wearing. Except for his mother.
0: Uh, I'm y- so glad yeah. ladies' fashion has gotten away from those boxy, uh, whew, that that business uh, attire that was like, oh man, that was bad. But, sides from that. Most of it, the rest of it seems to have aged pretty well.
1: Yes, that's one thing, because I I, I hadn't ever really gone into this movie thinking about what they're wearing, but I was trying to take note of it, and I was like, you know, this is, and I think you said the word correctly, it's like, this is all pretty generic, and I didn't completely put two and two together, that it was done intentionally, Uh, I hadn't read that, but yeah, it was a smart move, uh, because the, the only thing that could be dated is Michael Jordan short shorts on Buzz's wall.
0: Just don't wear a shirt with a bird knitted in the front of it. You can get your butt kicked for wearing something like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And kids are mean to each
0: other. Oh, sounds nice. Not if if you're in second grade, it isn't. Some special effects, that I really was shocked. I expected to see a lot of cables and pads and stuff for these people falling down. Yes, the candy glass ornaments are uh, actually sugar that Marv steps on with his bare feet, and that's a rubber nail that he steps on. However, most of these other falls and the beating up of the uh, people are stuntmen, really falling. They are going down on concrete. They are dropping down steps. They are like sending their feet up above their heads and then just falling down uh, on hard floors. They are really laying it out there. And the stuntmen had a whole career full of work out of this. Everybody wanted that home alone look out of this. And they said they don't really make movies quite like this anymore. These guys are really, really laying it out there. And this was probably one of the coolest things in the the behind-the-scenes features that you can see. Just how, I guess, treacherous this stunt job is.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, And, you know, apparently Macaulay Culkin's double was just a very short 30-year-old. But, yeah, and I just love that it's all so practical. And, I mean, today even it's like it all seems so realistic when it happens. Uh, it doesn't take this, you know, modern CGI and things like that. it's it, it's what really delivers that, and I know that it's stunts, and we have to take it seriously, but it really helps deliver that slapstick comedy. Like
0: the movie changes from a really good Christmas movie to a slapstick, hilarious movie once Kevin starts to set those traps up. And without those stunts, this movie does not work. And so, I rarely call out the stunt. I rarely call out the stuntmen because oftentimes uh, they get overlooked in some of these other things. But more than any other movie that we've done here thus far, I really want to call out the stuntmen. And say like this movie thrives off of the physical slapstick humor they have. That's the second or third act of the movie. And sometimes a Christmas movie gets mushy at this point, but it is high energy, and the climax is long and rewarding. Yeah,
1: yeah. It it, it does the, you know, so-called mushy points at the right time, and they're not too drawn out. Now, even toward the end, when, you know, his mom gets home, and, you know, there's a warm embrace and everything, the rest of the family arrives and lightens things up very quickly.
0: Oh, it never lags, and that's one of the things that I was talking about. Everything they cut wasn't bad content it always rounded out the characters it made them seem like they had good motivations it's just it was in an energy thing and that's why chris columbus made great edits to cut those things out and because the movie does not drag you don't go along without laughing everything does seem deliberate and it's pretty tight
1: yeah i, I wish i could see uh, some of the lead scenes I i i might have to go grab a copy and catch some of these special features
0: it's worth it i picked up a copy of this and home alone 2 together so uh
1: that would be worth it also a great movie
0: it is a great movie it it goes through a lot of the same motions again but you know what i liked it so much the first time i can i can go back for seconds on that one so
1: the the addition of uh particularly tim tim curry uh made the second one very great
0: yeah but i mean even old man marley's replaced by the scary bird lady in central park I mean, Mel- Marvin and Harry are back in New York. That makes no sense why they're not in Chicago anymore, but I'm glad they're back.
1: And if you remember, uh, there's a little cameo by our current president in Home Alone 2.
0: That's right. He did a great job in that movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he made Home Alone great again.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about the soundtrack here, the Oscar-nominated soundtrack. What did you think about the music of Home Alone?
1: It's just wonderful. I I can't think of a movie that I know John Williams has done where the soundtrack is not fantastic. It's just the moods it shows at the right time. Like for me, the one when I was a kid is when he leaves church and then there's this, you know, nice, peaceful, uplifting choral, you know, music going on and then suddenly things the music starts to pick up and the sense of urgency does like as he starts to run home. And it's just, he's just wonderful.
0: He, it is. I I—I th- I have to say though, it's not characteristic Williams uh, at the beginning. I honestly thought this was Danny Elfman at first. It has uh, this slinky kind of dark music with some of these higher pitch chimey kind of sounds and stuff like that. And I was thinking, this sounds like something out of a Tim Burton movie at the opening of the movie uh, and then it also happens, this, this kind of has this Elfman type sound when the power goes out and the during the windstorm and stuff, uh, which causes a lot of problems for the McAllisters. But it's not this big, epic John Williams score. It, this is not Indiana Jones. This is not Star Wars. It's, it's very fitting for the movie. But where he shines the most is that uh, it's called Somewhere in My Memory. Uh, it's hard for me to hum it on here, but it's the scene of when kevin reconnects with his mother and also when old man marley reconnects with his family it's just that is a heartwarming christmas in a can
1: yes as i said before it just it touches on all the emotions that you should be feeling uh at certain times and i i can see why the uh, academy gave him some oscar nods
0: other than Williams, there's actually a lot of really great Christmas music choices in here. I love Brenda Lee's "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree, The Drifters' White Christmas. I don't actually like the Bing Crosby White Christmas very much, but I love The Drifters' uh, White Christmas. And that's the one that's like, do 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 And that's the aftershave scene that's famous. Uh, Chuck Berry's Run Run Rudolph as they're running through the airport. Uh, I would say that that's that's one of my favorites, especially having just flown through
1: Chicago where we had to go across the entire airport. They, uh, it just it gives you that feeling like
0: they've got to uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas by Mel Torme. I'm familiar with this version. It's a little low on energy, but it's fitting for the role in this part. While I like other versions better, this is the right fit for this uh, for the scene that it's in. And uh, Southside Johnny Lyon does. Please come home for Christmas. I guess they didn't want to pay the money for the Charles Brown or the Eagles version on this one, so this is not the most known one. But I still love the song. And uh, Carol of the Bells is another one that you just can't go wrong with. I love the Christmas music that they put in this movie.
1: Yeah, it's not like too cheesy or any of the ones that sometimes like. Oh, I've heard it too much. But yeah, like you're right. Like Carol of the Bells, always great. And Oh, Holy Night was a really good part. It's all just wonderfully done. I can't say enough about it.
0: I'm loaded up with a lot of look for this, John. How about you? Yeah, yeah, that's,
1: uh, let's do it.
0: I'm going to kick you off here. The picture of Buzz's girlfriend that uh, is in his trunk, which is a really hideous girl. It's a hideous girl because that's a little boy made up to look like a girl. It's actually Chris Columbus thought it would just be too mean to make fun of any girl like that, so... They got the art director's son and uh, made him into a very ugly girl. I love the response of, Buzz, your girlfriend. (laughs) Woof.
1: Yeah, that's a a great point. What I liked is that uh, apparently uh, Joe Pesci deliberately avoided Macaulay Culkin on set because he wanted Culkin to think that he was mean.
0: He does seem kind of mean. Also, he had a hard time not cussing, they said. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Um, so in the movie, Kevin watches a videotape, uh, it's used several times that he uses to interact with the pizza man or with the wet bandits, and it is a VHS tape called Angels with Filthy Souls. Well, that's not a real movie. They actually filmed that special for this. It is similar in era and references another movie called Angels uh, with Dirty Faces from 1938, but Angels with Filthy Souls is not a real one, so, uh, that's, that's actually great. Uh, lines with, I'm going to give you to the count of ten. One, yeah. two, <laughs> ten. It, it, it's the
1: laughter, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can't even do it. It's not bad, really. Yeah. Keep the
0: change, you, you know, animal. the animal.
1: Well, one thing uh, I, I found pretty interesting. So, many of the shots of Kevin in the beginning of the film are from above his head to make him seem small and helpless. And then by the end of the film, Kevin's mostly shot from below making him seem more taller and confident.
0: He grew up a lot in the movie. I love that. That's another Chris Columbus great, great work there.
1: Yeah, it's it like he was forced to grow up. And even that little point when he was under the
0: bed, he's just like only wimps hide under the bed. Like uh, This might be a movie we do sometime in the future because I absolutely love it. 1949's The Third Man by Orson Welles has a character named Harry Lime in it. And Joe Pesci's character in this movie is called Harry lime and it is a nod to the third man great movie afi top 100 thrills list check it out oh okay
1: one thing i i found kind of neat was apparently macaulay calkin actually drew the map uh that his character uses to set the traps for operation ho ho ho
0: oh it's pretty good actually
1: yeah it is really good I, i definitely thought someone professional did that
0: so, Macaulay Culkin actually still has a scar on his pinky finger from the scene where Joe Pesci's gonna, I'm gonna bite his finger off! Yeah. That, 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 that's gotta be a, quite a story to have with you
1: for the rest of your life. Though. <laughs> I guess he got a little carried away. Apparently so. And apparently, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern uh, felt pretty indifferent about the movie's potential. So, they actually intentionally went over the top on their performances because they didn't believe the film would be a massive success. And I personally think that that over-the-top performance is what helped make it a success.
0: I think that it is great. And along those lines, the scream of Daniel Stern when the uh, spider is placed on his face and he shrieks like a little girl, it's really him. (laughs) It it, it really is. I've got one more. How about you? Do you have any left?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, and I, I kind of felt this too, because when I was younger, I was like, that's kind of a weird one. Chris Columbus's least favorite booby trap uh, in the film is when Harry gets doused with feathers because it was too soft compared with the, uh, the others.
0: It, I, The thought had occurred to me, but I just like it. It's too funny. And then you get that great line of like, Marv, wear your shoes. It's like, well, yeah. why are why you, do you dressed like, like a ch- chicken? That was ad-libbed apparently. <laughs> why do you look like a chicken? Um, an interesting, really detailed moment here, uh, showing you the how tight this movie is. If you look very carefully in the dinner scene, during the spill, uh, Peter, his dad, starts to clean up the uh, with napkins over with the spilled soda and milk, and the passports and tickets are on the counter, and he accidentally sends Kevin's ticket into the trash can which would also make them go through airport without an extra ticket which would clue them off to that so uh, his name is written on it with black marker and it falls in the trash so it's one of those things i've seen this movie a million times but i do see it now and that's how tight this movie is they really wanted to make it believable that kevin could have gotten left at home
1: yeah i read that and i hadn't noticed it before so very well thought out So John, how does this movie affect you? Well, it's interesting uh, because it's changed over the years and we've touched on it a little bit already. You know, when I was a kid, it just, it's so much fun. You know, this idea of being able to be by yourself with no rules, you know, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want, you can sled down the steps, you can just basically be your own boss. You know, although there were... The heartwarming moments and I I did understand some of that as a kid and then you know the booby trap scenes it's just so much fun like I wished I could have been someone you know playing all these tricks on these burglars but you know now having a daughter of my own I I can't imagine being the parents knowing that your kid is in another continent And there's nothing you can do, because the one thing that does kind of date this film a little bit is, you know, Catherine O'Hara, you know, Kate, she has to basically, for some French lady, hang up the payphone on her, like, and the payphones were probably all busy, too. You know, there's no cell phones, really. Uh, I mean, there were some cell phones, but I'm sure very few people had them, and they didn't work internationally, and just that inability to be there for your kid and traveling internationally is so difficult. It must just be horrifying. And I, I can see why she was just willing to do anything. I mean, because everyone she talks to, she's just clearly so desperate.
0: Absolutely. For me, I, I'm i like, John, I, you get this big kick out of it when you're a kid that you, know, you might have free reign in the house. Also, one thing that, Every kid feels at some point you get in trouble, somebody yells at you, and you probably act up. You're probably not fully mature and able to bounce back from it. And so your behavior probably is bad, but you don't realize it. And so everybody starts to feel like they are picking on you. And sometimes I think every kid feels like the whole world's picking on you. I don't know about you, John. Did you feel that? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just
1: feel like you're just completely ganged up on and you don't have an ally at all.
0: So that moment where he's just stomping on the floor, and it's like I'm gonna live alone and I'm not gonna have a family and I'm gonna be all alone and make you all go away and I that that rage that he had reminds me of a time when I was I don't know let's just say six years old or something like that and I was fed up and I was gonna run away air quotes and I that involved going one house up to uh, the end of the cul de sac that I lived on and into the pine trees there and I sat down for. A long time, in air quotes, which means in six years old, that might have been ten minutes. After I got uh, worried or whatever and I cooled off and I said, oh, I better go home. I don't want to get in trouble for running away. I went back home and mom didn't even know I left.
1: Well, yeah, I, I've heard those stories before. I, I never actually mustered up the courage to, to, to run away. I didn't have much desire, but I have heard some people say that it's like, They ran away, and someone didn't even notice.
0: (laughs) I have good parents who would have noticed if I had actually run away. So it was probably a grand total of ten minutes, which seems like (laughs) a long time when you're six. So.
1: Oh, absolutely! It's like because you're just stewing and brooding, like like I bet they feel awful right now. You know. That's exactly
0: what I was doing.
1: And they're just going about their lives, like.
0: Yeah. So uh, that was my running away story. Uh, movies, movie superlative time. This is my favorite time, man. You ready?
1: I am ready. MVP, John. This is a really, really, really tough one, uh, because I think you can go so many ways with it, but... I think you have to give it to Macaulay Culkin. He's just, for being that age, and I mean, Joe Pesci nailed it on the head. It's like he's an adult already. He delivers everything comedically well, dramatically well, physically well. Just all around, I don't think the movie, there are so many other valuable people. I mean, between Hughes, Chris Columbus, Joe Pesci, Catherine O'Hara, a bunch of So so many candidates, but for me, it has to be Macaulay Culkin.
0: Absolutely, and I don't think it's even a question. For me, it's not hard. It's Macaulay Culkin. This movie fails without a good kid actor in the lead, and it's Macaulay.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Or Mac, as they call him. Best supporting actor? I, I, I'm, I'm going to cheat
1: a little bit on this. I, I have to go with the combination of Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Uh, I just think that their chemistry together was fantastic. The the screams, and just like the quote you just said, just like, why, why don't you have any shoes? Like, why do you look like a chicken? Just the, the two of them are are so great, and I think that really helps drive the movie home.
0: In many ways, I agree with you. I went ahead and gave Best Supporting Actor to Daniel Stern in particular. I like Joe Pesci a lot, and he did a great job, and their chemistry is phenomenal, and it, this movie doesn't go if they don't work either, but... As I alluded to earlier, the physical humor, the timing of his lines, the ability to play an idiot. Marv gets more laughs than Harry in this movie, and Harry's kind of the straight man, although he's pretty committed and (laughs) he gets pretty goofy himself at times as well. I'm going to give it to Daniel Stern. This is by far, I love City Slickers, I love Breaking Away, but this is my favorite Daniel Stern performance, and I also don't understand why he's not in more movies. He's brilliantly funny
1: yes yes he is i've seen him in some other things that i, I like why why hasn't he gotten more roles hidden gem john well this one i probably clued it in when i was doing the cast uh it has to be kieran culkin uh as i said he he's still going strong at it and honestly he does well in this movie with what little he has
0: I wasn't exactly able to determine the exact name of this kid, but as you mentioned before, the runner-up for Macaulay Culkin's role was the kid in the van. That kid in the van cracks me up so much with his constant questioning of, like, does this van have four-wheel drive? Does it have a good transmission? What kind of gas mileage does this thing get? Does it, how long does it take to go from 60? Do the seatbelts eject all the time? And it's like He's like, look, kid, I don't know. And it's like, just
1: get out of here, please.
0: <laughs> that kid, I love him. He always makes me laugh, and that's my hidden gem. Okay. Sorry I didn't look your name up. All right. John, recast.
1: Recast. Well, with this one, I think I have to go with, I, I guess it could be kind of a, a cheating type thing because it was actually a consideration for it, but Gary Bam and his uh, Uncle Frank, I would have loved to see what, kelsey Grammer did with that
0: you know what I, i'm pretty happy with gary Baman. i I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i think
1: he did great I'm but gonna I, say I would I like don't... to see what see okay. what kelsey Grammer could do
0: okay okay i'm i'm, I'm not a big fan of one because I, I like uncle frank a lot in this one i'm gonna go after john hurd though uh the the father of uh, uh kevin he, i somehow in a strong cast and he's there's nothing wrong with what he does I just don't feel like he lands everything. Like I said, the fact that he's either mad at Kevin or sad that he missed him or the panic rush that Catherine O'Hare's acting circles around him. I would like to add in Chicago guy, Jim Belushi in his uh, role. All right. And I think that there's an opportunity to get a couple more humorous uh, lines out of Jim, whether it be on the airplane or at the airport. Uh, and so I'm going to go Jim Belushi instead of John Hurd. And I think he would have done it, too, because in 1990, he does the Palmero Connection, and that is not nearly as sexy of a movie as this. Okay. Sexy in terms of uh, wanting that role, I mean.
1: Yeah, I gotcha.
0: Yeah. Anyway, best shot.
1: And this just could be because I think it's just so hilarious. Um, I think it has to be when he puts the spider on... uh... Daniel Stern's face (laughs) it's and may it might not even really be the shot it's the scream with it and as you mentioned before but it's just the image will forever be seared in my brain I love it so much
0: (laughs) oh man I love that too and I'm gonna go with a very similar one because it's Daniel Stern again it's a close-up low viewpoint of Marv's head popping through the doggy door smiling looking at Kevin nervously Kevin has a BB gun pointed right at his head and he's like hello and then shoots him
1: that's that's pretty great too that, that is a great great shot true shot
0: uh, best scene
1: Best scene uh, I'm actually gonna go with because I feel the turmoil of it it's actually them kind of running through the airport. Uh, maybe it's because of the music. You do like that Chuck Berry, don't you? That's going on at the same. Yeah, it's like maybe it's the music that's going on. And apparently, there was a sign that got torn up actually when they were doing it. It's just, and maybe it's because I flew so recently on a long flight overseas, and it's just like, uh, like the that feeling of being late, missing flights, and all that stuff. It's. I think they really captured the, the feeling of panic and chaos you have, and that you know and i've only flown with small numbers of people before with like 15 or so i don't even know a lot of them being kids i don't even know what i do
0: well they're screwed in today's times because if they're walking onto a plane in 1990 just in time that means you're about an hour and a half late in today's time
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: The best scene for me is going to be the church scene with Mr. Marley and watching his daughter granddaughter sing in the choir and Kevin coming up and realizing this isn't a bad guy. You know, this is just perhaps passage of time. I I love so many scenes in this movie and I had a hard time picking it. But as I've gotten older, it's the uh, the heartwarming scenes in this movie that uh, become more and more special that elevate this from just a good movie to a great movie. And obviously I love the comedy because comedies are my favorite. But the church scene is my favorite.
1: Yeah. It, it is a very poignant scene in the movie and, uh, quite a transition for two, two characters.
0: John change one thing.
1: Um, you kind of, you know, touched on some of this. I wish I could see the, the special features more, but, uh, the, the one thing I would change is maybe, and maybe it's because I, I am a father. It's like, it's making the father more integral to be wanting to be home as bad and having that really strong desire to, and maybe that's why you had the John Heard re- recast. Maybe I, he just didn't. I didn't feel like he was that upset, if that makes sense.
0: I agree, and that's probably why I went after him because. It may not all just be the fact that he wasn't given the opportunity. I think maybe somebody would have get uh, somebody could have done more with it. And that's why I went with Belushi, because also if you get him in there, they're going to make a point to flex him a little bit more, too. You know, herds build above Candy in this movie, but Candy leaves a much bigger footprint on the movie. Oh,
1: without a doubt.
0: Uh, my change one thing is very similar to yours, but I'm going to add another one in there. I would actually like a post-credit scene of Marvin Harry in jail. Oh, that would, that would be good. It's uh it's not a thing that happened back then. post credits are a, a wonderful thing that come along. Thank you, Marvel Cinematic Universe, for popularizing these, but I would love to have Harry and Marv in the jail and Marv telling somebody else like we're the wet bandits. We're the wet bandits. I was <laughs> gonna say it has to be the wet bandits. <laughs> and and the guy's like who? And like Marv's like, you know, the wet bandits and like Marv, and like Harry like hits him, Would you shut up, Marv?
1: <laughs> No, that would be good.
0: Best quote, John.
1: This one its just a little exchange at the beginning of the movie when Harry's impersonating the police officer. When he's talking to Sandra and he asks, Are your parents home? And he said, She says, Yeah. Said, Do they live here? She says, No, and then walks away. And he, his line here, and he says, No, why should they? All kids, no parents probably a fancy orphanage
0: (laughs) (laughs) that is a good one man there are a lot of good ones in here and there's tons of them i was thinking about keep the change you filthy animal but i love the delivery of kevin uh, macaulay culkin or kevin at the top of the steps as marv and harry are laying on the floor after slipping on micro machines and he says you guys give up or you're thirsty for more
1: yeah that that that's a really good one
0: Almost joyous that he's not done with them yet. I love it.
1: Yeah, like he's just toying with them.
0: Uh, Kevin clearly grows up to become an excellent engineer, I'm sure. Uh,
1: I I would hope so. I might Might be kind of a scary engineer.
0: Well, we've come full circle, John, and I would like to get your five-star rating on Home Alone.
1: You know... Uh, maybe it's just my sentimentality of the movie and added on with my new perspective on it, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a five out of five. Uh, it's just, even coming up with uh, things to change w- was rather difficult. Uh, to me, it's a it's it's a classic Christmas movie, and honestly, I could watch it at times not around Christmas. Uh, maybe it was the timing of you know, seeing it as a kid and wanting to plant all those booby traps with my toys and whatnot. But uh, I, I think I
0: have to go ahead and give it a five. I'm right there with you. I loved this as a kid. It made me laugh. It still makes me laugh. But as I've gotten older, there's depth in this movie. There's a lot of craft in this movie. It grossed a ton of money for a reason I think the ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb are criminally low. I don't understand how this is in the yeah, 70s. I,
1: I can't say enough how shocked I was to see that they were that low. I can understand that they aren't going to be 98% or something like that, but when I saw it in the 60s, I was like, wow.
0: Yeah, wow. It, this is a very good movie, and I'm going to give this a 5 as well. Any movie that has grown with me... Like as I have with this or as any movie that I've gone back to watch this many times over and over and like John I've watched this movie in summer I've watched it on like movie channels when I have it uh, and I own it it's just one of those things where I will fall into it so quickly at any part of the movie and I actually get really giddy and excited for when the traps are about to kick into gear. So like, I'm already in love with this movie, and then like, it's just about to get even better. So uh, I feel like a kid again because it's Christmas time. I love the fact that there's the sense of a church in it at Christmas. I like the fact that it's about family at Christmas. The music's perfect. If you couldn't tell, John and I are having a love fest for this, and it's going to be a clean sweep of fives right now. Sorry, we didn't have a uh, countering opinion tonight uh, with a guest but John's been gone for so long so it's just I, I, he needed his time to shine
1: absolutely yeah but I, I think you hit it all up right on the head it's just it's so much of it, it, it as it, it's grown with us and uh, I, I could really just watch it at any time and amping up for that like scene it doesn't matter how many times I see the booby trap scenes I could watch it over and over as I said, particularly with the spider on the face. That scream I I don't know how he did that. Like if he practiced it, like it's, it sounds like it'd ruin your voice.
0: <laughs> what do we pick the movie for next time?
1: So, with the new year, we are deciding to pick movies that came out in 2009 10 years ago in the science fiction genre. Are you ready for 3 of 10-year-old Science fiction films? The new retro. Let's do it. The new retro. So first we have District 9. An extraterrestrial race forced to live in slum-like conditions on Earth suddenly finds a kindred spirit and a government agent who is exposed to the biotechnology. We have Avatar, a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon... Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. And finally, we have Mr. Nobody. A boy stands on a station platform as a train is about to leave. Should he go with his mother or stay with his father? Infinite possibilities arise from this decision as long as he doesn't
0: choose. Anything is possible. I love... All of these movies, they're all in my top 100 science fiction movies. John, have you seen have you seen all of these? I have not. I've seen two of them. Which one have you not seen?
1: I have not seen Mr. Nobody before.
0: You know what? This is a movie that deserved more attention than it got. I don't know if it just didn't get the marketing push, but it may not be as popular for views, but I, I think for just for fun, We have to do Mr. Nobody. I really encourage people to go out there and see this movie if you haven't.
1: Well, I'm I'm glad you picked it. That's the reason I put it on there. When I saw that it was 2009, uh, I was excited because I'd seen it on Netflix uh, streaming before. I don't know if it's still there or not, but uh, I'd I'd put it on my list for some time, but never got around to watching it, sadly. So I'm excited to watch it.
0: Well, we get a lot of requests for more (laughs) sci-fi. Everybody who likes the show seems to like sci-fi, so we're giving the people what they want.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And give them what they want.
0: Thank you so much, John, for returning from the past. Your time travels were uh, exhausting, I'm sure, but thanks for returning to Christmas Day in 2018.
1: Well, you're welcome, and I am happy to be here with Christmas and particularly Home Alone.
0: Are you back in the fold for good now?
1: Yes, I am back in the fold.
0: That's good to hear. Well, Thank you, all the listeners, as well. Uh, 2019, we hope to bring you lots more content along the way. And to all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes. You can get us on Spotify. You can favorite us there. Uh, you can also get us at Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast. Please give us a like on Facebook. We're inching our way ever so closer to 200 likes on Facebook and email us at roundtable at yahoo.com. We always love to hear from you if you want to go into a little more depth on what you thought about the movie. Feedback's always fun. And as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. And Merry Christmas, John.
1: Yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. But I have to go out on a... You'll shoot your eye out, kid.